Welcome to a new Single Scoop episode. I'm JR, and I'm joined by my co-host, Old R. And today our topic is the movie Emergency Act 19 from 2002. While we are going to explain what it's about, we also hope that by putting a spotlight on it, it will eventually become a cult film. So, let's get into it. The plot follows a world where major celebrities are becoming politicians across multiple countries. Certain people in Korea, namely politicians and the military, become upset by this and enact Emergency Act 19, which involves the military rounding up and detaining all idols. Dozens of idols appear throughout the film, but the two main protagonists are soloist Hong Kyung-min and Kim Jong-hoon. They team up with high school student and Hong Kyung-min fangirl Minji, who helps hide them. Together, they become part of the resistance and eventual downfall of Emergency Act 19. This satire movie was released on July 19, 2002 and rated 15 plus in Korea. It was directed by Kim Tae-gyu, who also did The Last Defense in 1997. According to Naver, the film was written by four people. The screenwriters were Kim Song-dong, Lee Sung-guk, and Kim Eun-tae, and the adaptation was by Park Joon-yong. Kim Eun-tae is especially interesting because they are listed as the original author in addition to screenwriter because, allegedly, they also wrote the play Comedy Jukigi, which multiple people have claimed Emergency Act 19 plagiarized or at least parodied. Also, I say allegedly because while doing research on Kim Eun-tae, people weren't really listing with the play as being one of their works as it's not a movie, so they were keeping the filmography separate but I highly doubt that two people with the same name worked on the same project. However, I might be wrong and who knows, maybe I will find out for certain a month after this is released because that's usually how my luck goes with these things. But in theory, the person who wrote the play also wrote the movie. It was distributed by S1 Cinema, which was established by So Won, who is a notorious ex-comedian and ex-pastor. His history is just wild if you ever look into it. <laughs> The exact box office figures are disputed, but it did make a substantial amount of money due to fans going to see their idols. The closest numbers I got were from a Yonhap news article that came out a few days after the film's release. A distribution committee said that there were about 15,000 people who attended, while S1 Cinema claimed that there were about 40,000 moviegoers. As there's a massive difference between those numbers and I never found a final official tally, we know that at least it did well enough to remain in theaters and eventually become available for home video, and at one time was available on DVD as we found a listing for it on Amazon. As you may have guessed by now, it wasn't exactly a popular or well-liked movie. There are a couple reasons for this, including that it appears to reference or at least parody the demonstrations done during the Park Chung-hee administration, the distortion of Korean law, and that it's, quite frankly, a dumpster fire. At the end of 2002, Emergency Act 19 was voted as being the worst movie of the year by netizens. It was also given the Best Picture Award at the Ready Stop Film Festival, which is basically the Korean version of the Golden Raspberry Awards, meaning it was really bad. Now that you have a grasp of what the movie was about, let's talk about who was in it. Hong Kyung Min played one of the main protagonists and idols who rebels against the crackdown. He's a legendary singer known for songs like Shaky Friendship, Tonight, and various OSTs. But most people outside of Korea are probably more familiar with his various appearances on variety shows. One of his close friends is actor Cha Tae-hyun, who is also the person who told him to try appearing in the movie, then later admitted to feeling bad about doing so years after its release. If that tells you anything about the film, there you go. 
The other major idol protagonist is Kim Jong-hoon, who antagonizes the authorities and gets antagonized by fangirls. He is also a legendary singer known for songs like I'm a Man. However, recent fans might recognize him from when he collaborated with Rolling Quartz on the song Ice on Fire. The final main protagonist is actress Gong Hyo-jin, who played the high school girl Minji. She has been in numerous music videos and dramas, including Sangdu, Let's Go to School, and When the Camellia Blooms. Second one, absolutely love. First one, eh. Anyway, there were two main antagonists. The first was the chief secretary, who is not listed as having a name, and he is the one that executed the Emergency 19 order, repeatedly fought with Kim Chang-hoon, and was Minji's father. He was played by No Joo-hyun, who has been acting since the 1970s and is still active today. He was recently in Love Featuring Marriage and Divorce. The second main antagonist was Ju Young-hoon, who betrayed idols. Ju Young-hoon debuted during the first generation and is still active in the industry. In addition to the idols we have already mentioned, many idols did cameos in the movie, including, but not limited to, Sai, Chakra, Babybox, Finkel, Clickby, Harasu, Shinhwa, Kangta, KYT, The Old Lineup, Lee Sung-jin from Energy, and Lee Juno from Soteji and Boys. There were also several singers who weren't from the first generation in the film. Many of them debuted in the 1980s and earlier, including Hong Sobom and Kim Tae-hyung from Sobangcha. So Oldar, why should people watch this movie? In my opinion, it's one of the few pieces of media, at least that I can think of, that includes multiple generations of idols and other entertainers in a way that shows them off rather than only uses them for their face, which is a very unpopular opinion. <laughs> While knowing who everyone is and knowing every joke about them does add to the experience, it's okay not to know and could even make you curious by the little bits of information included, some of which is way funnier if you know them around the film's release or in recent years rather than just during the time period which it was being filmed. For example, during Xinhua's torture scene, the military wanted Lee Simon's location and that was around the time when he was wanted by Interpol. By the way, the Korea Boo article I found about it also included that So Se-won was wanted by Interpol, which is hilarious because if you'll remember, he's the guy that drove slash distributed this film. There's a lot of that in this movie, and the connections you can make with it are hilarious. Yeah, yeah. We were just dying of laughter when you were telling me about (laughs) all the ridiculous things that were happening. Like, one that you didn't mention, but Sai actually did get arrested the same year, right? The same year that this movie came out. Lee Juno did too. They both got arrested. Those obviously are not planned things, but it's just kind of funny knowing some of the context around that time. (laughs) Well, especially considering how Sai was arrested in the movie. It was very reminiscent to his real life. (laughs) (laughs) Which happened after. It must have been deja vu for him. Mm Mm-hmm. So, like Oldar mentioned, you don't need a PhD in the early generations of K-pop to enjoy this, though it does help a little. But for me, I know a majority of the idols included, but it also introduced me to new faces, which I love. I always like kind of broadening my horizons when it comes to K-pop, and I think this was a good way to do that. That being said, it could be something of like a yearbook almost for new K-pop fans, because it really does have an incredible cast of people. Like, people you would not think. Would be together. Yeah. Well, that's the other thing is that it, we see it all the time with, like, dramas or other movies where you see different idols who've gone into acting being together. But this is them as idols. 
that are yes, mixing with exactly. each other. They are playing themselves. There were some of them who I didn't even know were friends until I saw this and I looked up afterwards like, oh, they were friends. Mm -hmm. So then mm -hmm. there's just cute stuff like that all over the place. Another reason to watch is that I feel like it's very reminiscent of American satire from that time. It kind of has yeah. a similar feel to it. And if you enjoy that genre of movie, which I do, I love it. I think that you'll definitely enjoy this movie. So... Something to keep in mind. If you don't like satire, I don't know how much you'll enjoy this, but I think it's pretty funny. I feel like it would be really funny if this was remade in America. Maybe during that time. I don't know about today. I don't really follow much of like top 40 stuff today, but during that time with the people who were popular, like I think they were saying Madonna got elected as prime minister Madonna, michael jackson britain or something yeah michael jackson was the president they oh didn't they <laughs> they <laughs> they um they predicted america having a black president so <laughs> they predicted that the president who eventually become obama would be they predicted yeah what number of american president he would it be was they really predicted that would be bizarre. a black male democrat they predicted all of that with this movie. Absolutely hilarious. Six years before his run. Hilarious. Mm -hmm. So, was Obama influenced by Emergency Act 19? The world we would never know. <laughs> I mean, considering how much, like, was that? I'm trying to think. He may have been, like, the first president who interacted with K-pop. If not him, then it'd be Bill Clinton. But mm. I think Obama was the first one who interacted with K-pop idols. If so, <laughs> if he was the first, then that makes it even funnier. Yes, yes, for sure. There's just so many weird things about it, that's what makes it funny. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and I think we had the privilege of having first seen this movie. It was last year, right? So 19 years after its release. Yeah. And that meant that we were so incredibly far removed from all the criticism and the controversy that came with it. Because we didn't know it until yeah. Oldar started researching. We watched it this year. We had a, a viewing this year. And we had no clue just how hated it was. We knew it wasn't well received because we had only found it last year but we did not know the extent of it and i think besides it being kind of cringy i think also the controversy with a lot of like the production and uh, yeah. writing and all that yeah so well do you remember why we started watching it do you remember what led up to it you found it because you were looking up something else, right? Yeah. So do you remember what I what I was working on what at the time? You... It's a piece of content that already came out last season. Was it the Jackies? No. Was it Baby Vox? It was Baby yeah. Vox, wasn't yeah. it? Yep. Because Baby Vox <laughs> does make an appearance in this movie. So, oh, yeah. was so funny. And they were in the news with this and I'm like, huh. But also, though, I thought it was interesting, though, because I was watching that for that episode. And then it was like... Wait a minute, is that who I think that is? That's what we were doing the first time we saw the movie. Because I just knew Baby Vox was in it. I didn't look up anything else. I was like, Baby Vox right. in it? Let's go watch it. It's on YouTube. Let's do it. And then we had a great time and we were laughing so hard and then we made other people watch it with us. And it doesn't have English subtitles, but we knew enough to where we're like, okay, we get the jokes. And then yeah, whenever yeah. we didn't get, the more times I viewed it, the more jokes I've gotten. It's like, oh, I didn't catch that last time. And then I went to the Namu Wiki and also to news articles. Like, oh, okay, that makes more sense. So why don't you tell us some of the things you enjoyed, even though we've already kind of been discussing that. 
Well, aside from the connections and the jokes, the over-the-top situations were hilarious. Mm -hmm. For example, Kankta's absurd fight scene, to me, was very reminiscent of the stuff he did during H.O.T.'s past dramas and skits. Primarily the wolf and sheep skits, like this is something straight out of those. And I saw critics who were mad about how campy this movie was, and I feel like they weren't viewing it with the correct background and Mm -hmm. lens. Like, it didn't seem... Even though they referenced these movies, it didn't seem like they were too versed on previous idol movies like Seventeen or Age of Peace and how bad they typically are, regardless of their enjoyability. Mm-hmm. And that kind of bugged me. It was like you were expecting an actual film. Which makes me wonder how it was marketed. Like, why did people go into it expecting Oscar-worthy filmmaking? <laughs> You know, because it is the definition of camp. Like, people are not actually tied up in torture scenes. And, you know, like, (laughs) I just, I don't know why people saw the campiness as a bad thing. They really wanted it to be more serious, which it... Why would you want to watch a serious idol movie? Like, It said that it was parody. (laughs) So it's like, why is this a shock for you? Yeah. Why is the -the over-the-top, like, when Kankta is kicking people and he's just in the air? Why are you acting like that's a surprise? prize like yeah are you not aware like obviously i've had the background of idol movies since and whenever there's an idol movie that gets made this film is always brought up in addition Mm -hmm. to whatever movies came afterwards but this is one of those that's always listed because it's in that absurd genre and guess what most idol movies are absurd yeah so it fits i will say though compared to 17 it had a major through line and compared to Age of Peace, it actually stayed in theaters. It wasn't just destroyed. I was going to say. <laughs> but I don't think people really knew what they were in for who were like serious film critics. Mm. Like, yes, it's garbage, but it, that's that makes sense. Right. And like somebody was gunning for this film. You cannot get this <laughs> cast without somebody pushing it, you know? I think they were not expecting it to bomb as badly as it did. From what I've read, though, it was like, clearly it was driven by Sose One, but also he knew a lot of people because he was a comedian previously, and he had a lot of connections, and he knew some of these idols because they were on his show. Now, mm-hmm. his show mm-hmm. is a topic of a whole other controversy, but I think, though, that, like, if anyone was going to do it, it makes sense to be him, but at the same time, though, I feel like he should have not put his name on stuff because I feel like that's what caused a lot of problems, especially mm-hmm. with all the stuff he ended up getting into. Yeah. Yeah, so one of the things I enjoyed was that when we first watched the movie, Oldar and I had such a blast pointing out the different celebrities and trying to figure out what they were saying because, like she said, it was unsubtitled. So we're going back, like, a few (laughs) seconds every so often and, like, oh, did they say it was in the office? It was in the office. That's what they're looking for. Or, like, oh my goodness, I can't believe they had Finkel in this position here and they're talking to these soldiers here. It was just such a fun experience and not one that we typically have when watching Korean media I would say like especially not in K-dramas you know the cast we really went into this blind and I think that benefited the movie incredibly (laughs) yes because it kind of turned into a game we were just like yelling out idols and trying to figure out who the lesser known celebrities were and just so funny trying to keep up with the politics and the plot and I think that might not be the same experience everyone has but I 
think there is definitely something to get out of it. There's at one point in the movie where getting arrested becomes kind of like a mark of, oh, people know you're a singer? Like mm-hmm. Lee Juno from Sotejian Boys? They were like, oh, are you Sotejian? No. <laughs> and like there's like this whole <laughs> back and forth where he's like, no, I'm one of the boys of Sotejian Boys. And they don't care though. They're like, oh, we're after Soteji. And he was just like so insulted. He's like, um, I'm big too. Yeah. And that's the thing. People were able to take jokes. They were, they gave them nails, but they took it and it was all in good fun. And it felt like though the jokes could only come if you actually knew who they were. Like, you know what I mean? Like the people who wrote it. Because there are Mm -hmm. certain times where I've seen idols and certain things and I'm like, you're trying to make a joke about this idol being in this group and something, a joke about the group. But you clearly don't know anything about the group or only know one fact that has been repeated again and again and again. And it's not Mm -hmm. funny. Whereas this felt very fresh. Yeah, the writing was pretty good in that sense. Or there were times where it's like, you don't even need to know them. It's still funny. Like with Conkta, Conkta, like his voice was not brought up. His piano stuff was not brought up. HRT was not brought up. It's just him being surrounded and fighting. And then he's the only idol that actually gets to walk away and not get captured. That's the best part. (laughs) He's just never seen again. He goes and he fights them and then he goes back to school. The Soteji and boys member, there was that. But then there was also the running joke of this, this sing, he was a singer, right? He wasn't a comedian. I think some of them were MCs, but also had music albums and also were comedians. So I think that there was, you know, like how Haha does a lot of stuff. Yeah, yeah. So I think they, there were a lot of people like him. Yeah, because I don't remember this guy's name, but throughout the movie, he shows up a couple times at least, and yeah. he's he's essentially turning himself in, and he's like, I'm a celebrity, I am a threat, and they just kind of look at him, and they're like, ha, no, no, we don't need you, you can go on your way, <laughs> that type of thing, and it was just, it was so funny, and the comedic beats are really there, in my opinion, like, yes. it, it worked, it worked really well. I felt like it held up, the humor, because, like, there's certain bits of humor where, like, it's from the time period, but even with, like, the part of Harusu, where stuff can still go very offensive, I felt like the jokes were more around, like, laughing with the idols or at a situation than laughing at the idols. It didn't feel like there was, like, a lot of punching down. Which also was what made it enjoyable because that's another thing with a lot of idols being in other media is that people do not think idols like matter or take them very seriously. Whereas this was like doing that and was trying to do more of a service. I preferred it. What I also enjoyed was that this film pulled in so many people and like I mentioned before, it's not just young idols. It's people from the 80s, people from disbanded groups, MCs, even company CEOs, and just other people who might have appeared on a variety show together otherwise, but never interacted in a piece of media like this, where it was technically about them as them. And I mm-hmm. kind of have to wonder if this film was backed by somebody else besides Sosewan. Would we have seen one of these every few years? Like, would people have received it differently? Because yeah. if it was un- managed under somebody else, it might have also been filmed differently and if it'd been done every few years what that would look like as in history tends to repeat itself so what if the korean government tried to bring up emergency act 19 in 2008 and then this time it was someone like soteji betraying the idols and the main characters were jaejung and top i think that <laughs> they would still be considered trash movies but i also think that would have been something to look forward to as this film was kind of a who's who of the industry at the time and mm-hmm. could summarize or like JR mentioned earlier, kind of be like a yearbook of what's going right. on at the time. 
it would have been kind of cool if this became like a series where it's like every new generation or every five to ten years we got a new one. It's like school, the school K drama series, but for idols <laughs> and <Yeah>. politics. <laughs> <laughs> yeah and it just jokes about like the time period and like you said if it had gone well and the movie would have come out a few years after this one and now we're so far removed from that that given how volatile the political climate is nowadays like i don't know if we could get something similar to this no i doubt but, it yeah i just i think it would be really funny to see how modernity and like today's ce- celebrities would change the flow of the film because yeah like, you're saying 2008, Jaejung and Top. Who would be 2022's Jaejung and Top and Hong Kang Min and Kim Jong-un, you know? So, should we discuss why we think it should be a cult film? Yeah, in addition to what we've already said about it kind of being a comparison in history and stuff, I think that it should be a cult film because it's not been forgotten in Korea. In fact, when a new idol movie comes out, it tends to get brought up and be kind of a comparison. Like when the Super Junior movie was coming out, this was brought up. And that was in like 2007, 2008, somewhere around there. And and while the commentary it set out to make wasn't that great, I think what happened after it's released is way more interesting. And it has a lot of hallmarks of a cult film, like it being a bit obscure, not objectively good, and being just something interesting that people kind of remember at certain points. But it doesn't have a lot of fans. And I think that the reason why is that at the time period, it was so contentious. And nowadays, it's too old to where people don't want to watch it and also it's not very easy to access but I think that if more people watched it in recent years like 20 years later when we're watching it and thought of it as more of a look back on entertainers before second gen because this came out about a year or two before second gen started then I think it would get more recognition as being something people should attempt to enjoy and I hope it does become a cult classic eventually but I think we're a long way from that right yeah, I, I totally agree with you. Through today's view, I think that people looking back on this movie would completely change how it's received. And some of my favorite cult films follow formulas very similar to this movie. So I definitely think that it has the makings for yeah. becoming cult film status. And I think we're going to be at the forefront of this grassroots <laughs> movement, pushing ahead, making sure everybody watches it. <laughs> It's the first thing we're going to mention. Yeah, like I don't want to give Sosewoon a platform, but at the same time, right. though, I feel bad for, I think it was the director who passed away and this was his last film. Yeah. And there's a lot of the actors and celebrities who they really just look back on it and are kind of embarrassed. I think the two main lead guys, Kim Jong-un and Hong Kyung-min, kind of take it more in stride than other people are just like, do not talk to me about it. Right. But I kind of like for them to, it's like, no, there could be some enjoyment. And yes, you did a good job. Mm-hmm. Like, this wasn't a complete waste of your time. And you're watching it on YouTube. So Sewon isn't getting any money. <laughs> I know. Let's keep it that way. <laughs> I don't know where else it could be distributed. I didn't find anywhere. Like, that DVD was on Amazon, so who knows if it was... I assume it'd be a secondary seller at that point. Right. So, So. yeah, just watch it, but don't mention So Say One. (laughs) Before we wrap up, let's talk about the OST. There are 19 tracks on the OST for Emergency Act 19. These tracks are a mix between orchestral songs that were used as background tracks, dialogue clips from the film, and pop songs. 
It's very difficult to find and listen to this OST because it's blocked in many areas and not available on streaming platforms. However, I was able to find a rip of it on YouTube. So here are the songs that really stood out to me. And luckily, the songs for this K-pop heavy film are actually quality songs. So I'm only going to talk about three of the pop songs that I enjoyed. The first one I want to talk about is Na by Park Yohan, and this was used in the Click B chase scene, and there are three versions of it on the soundtrack. It is a total bop and one of Park Yohan's best songs, in my opinion, and he's really hard to track down to this artist, so I'm glad that this movie introduced me to him, because this is very fun. Before I looked into the OST, I genuinely thought that some of these songs were just older k-pop songs that i just didn't know about and i'm like wow i guess i don't know much about it it's like no these were for the film so that makes me feel much better (laughs) i know that's like the relief where it's like no i didn't miss something major the second song that i want to highlight is ujin he's lonely heart it's a slower ballad song and the vocalist for it was perfect this song was perfect for the moment when it was used and the final song that i want to talk about is im sangi's conflict This is also a bop, and I kind of wish it was featured as much as Na, and if you get a chance, please give the soundtrack a listen because it's very difficult to come by, and it's actually pretty good. (laughs) To wrap up, Emergency Act 19 is a wild and messy film that should be seen at least once if you're a K-pop fan. If you have the chance, we recommend it even if you're not completely familiar with everyone in there. As this is the 20th anniversary of it, we really wanted to highlight it. So, that's it for today. Jir? Take it away. Thank you for listening. If you enjoyed the episode, then please make sure to rate, subscribe, follow, and tell your friends about us. If you want to interact with us or just see more of our content, then you can follow us on Twitter at KpopSunbase or on our other social media platforms, which will be in the description. I also want to mention the new season of our main podcast, the K-Pop Sunday podcast, is out this month. So there's two episodes currently. Listen to those if you get a chance. And more single scoops are coming your way soon. Thanks, everyone. Bye. Annyeong.